everyone, and welcome or welcome back to the Mississippi Artist to Artist podcast, where we get to have genuine conversations with visual artists living and working in our state. First off, Happy New Year. I hope everyone had a wonderful and safe holiday with their family and friends and created beautiful new experiences that they get to take with them throughout the entire new year. I am looking forward to 2022 and excited to see what it has to offer. Before we get started this week, I wanted to let you know about a couple of things that are going on at the Little Yellow Building. Our next call for art is out for the virtual show, Body. That's going to be featuring figurative artwork by Mississippi artists. You can go online to thelittleyellowbuilding.com, check out Calls for Art, and it should be listed right under there. If not, or if you have any problems, questions, or concerns, reach out to us on Instagram at the Little Yellow Building. We also have an ongoing call for art for TLYB Art Mag. We'll be featuring Mississippi artists all the time on our Instagram and in small profiles on the block. So go online and check it out. And if you're interested, submit some art. All submissions are free and we'll be posting throughout the year featuring all different types of artists from across the state. If you are an artist that teaches in Mississippi and travels, Go online to littleyellowbuilding.com and check out Teach Art Mississippi. That's where you can sign up for our list of artists that are willing to travel to different sections of the state to teach workshops and go to different organizations who want to who build something in their community. So you've got Body, you've got TLYB Art Mag, and you've got Teach Art Mississippi. Those are some things that, to check out and definitely get involved with. Now, without any further waste, on to the interview. This week, we have a, a Mississippi artist out of the Delta, Carol Rohr. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. I'm excited. So, Carol, for um, for these interviews, I always like to start out with the same question, and that's just tell us about you growing up and your history with art. So um, it's funny. Uh, we were just talking and I said to you, Derek, that I feel like I already know you because I've listened to so many of your podcasts, but I also noticed there's this reoccurring theme um, that we kind of all sprout from the same source. You know, we, we either drew on everything we shouldn't have as a child or messed with the mud and the clay and the whatever, but it, it really does, you know, it, it stemmed from way back then. And I had picture books that, um, I would, tr- I would draw on them. So it would like transfer the drawing to the next sheet of paper. And then I would draw over those lines and make my own drawings from that. Um, of course we also had, you know, paint by number kits back then, which I never truly understood because they were all in those little gradations. But, um, that was kind of how it started. And I had a lady that taught art privately. We did not have art in our schools. I grew up in a little town called Lexington. Um, but there was a lady that taught under the drugstore on Saturday mornings. And um, she had she was a watercolorist named Frances Melton. She had actually um, done a couple of duck stamps. She was very well known. And um, you had to be. 
I think she liked to take you at age 12, but I begged and begged and begged. And my mom, when she realized I was not going to be a pianist, um, allowed me to start taking, you know, asking at 11. And so she took me at 11 and I took from her every Saturday until I graduated high school. I was an avid horseback rider and I competed on horses. So I went to a small college called Wood College just outside of Starkville in Matheson and rode on their equestrian team. And the art teacher there, you know, we had to have an art credit. Um, I really I don't think I thought that I could go into art as a career. So I never really pursued that. I, you know, I had this big dream of riding the Olympics. I don't know, crazy teenager type stuff. But um, anyway, Miss Dorsey, um, I had to take art appreciation with her. And then she wound up actually offering freehand one. So I took that from her and her husband was Michael Dorsey, who was over the art department at Mississippi State at the time. And she said, you know, will you just go over there and look with me? So we went and looked at Mississippi State. It was it was where I was meant to be. And so that was in the late 80s. And um, I finished my degree. I got a BFA there in 91 uh, with an emphasis in graphic design and painting. Painting is what I loved. Graphic design was what you thought could put food on the table. Okay. You know, we all went through it. <laughs> um and, and to show my age, um, this was also, you know, about the time that the transition into computers was really about to happen. And I did know that I did not want to work on a computer the rest of my life. Um, I also felt that I, I hated graphic design um, and I was not good at it. Um, I loved illustration. I still had the horse thing. So I left school and really pursued um, equine illustration. I did a lot of magazine covers, a lot of advertising, because luckily illustration by hand still was a thing. And then I did equine portraiture, fine art. And honestly, it was still a means to support the horses. Um, uh, but it was still something I was realizing that I had to do, you know, I just I could not not paint and draw. And luckily, I made enough to, to kind of make it worth my time. Um, and then I started teaching some classes. Never in my wildest dreams did I think I would teach anything. Um, no, <laughs> but that as the years have gone on, has become as much of a passion for me as my art itself. And um, I think part of it is because I love art so much and I know what it does for me mentally, spiritually, everything. I want to share that. So um, I, I knew I needed to do to broaden my horizons. Um, I was always interested in landscapes, but I felt like uh, Mississippi didn't have what I what it what it needed to offer me as far as inspiration. And then I met Sammy Britt and I did a workshop with Sammy. I was pregnant with my first child, um, seven months pregnant. It was the third week of July, all outdoors, five day workshop. And, um, and I was teaching at the time. So I would work with him and then I'd leave and go teach a class and then I'd come back. But I looked at, and I, I mean, I cried multiple tears. Um, 
I was so it was the Henchy method was just I had never seen anything like it. I was so mesmerized by it, but it it was so hard for me to grasp when I first started and the hormones probably didn't help either. But um, <laughs> anyway, um, as I looked at Sammy's work and listened to Sammy, I knew that it didn't matter how hard it was. This was something you know, I had to I had to figure this out. So I took between workshops and auditing at Delta State. He was still there. I worked with Sammy off and on for about 10 years. And um, he just you know, I don't I'm still fascinated by the Hinchy method. And I think the platform of how to see and how to see light and color is phenomenal. I don't necessarily paint totally that way anymore, but the foundation he gave me and and the ability to actually open my eyes. But one of the, the most things he said was, you know, when I told he asked why I didn't do landscapes. And I said, well, I mean, we're in Mississippi. You know, I feel like I need to be out in Colorado or Arizona or Maine. And and he took and I've told this story a dozen times. I guess that's really because it did make such an impact on me. He took me over to a window and he said, you see those window panes? And if you have to know Sammy, he's just got this dry sense of humor. And he's, you know, I think scares half his students till you get to know him. But he said, there's a painting in every one of those window panes. He said, and what do you know about all those other places? You've grown up here. You know this landscape. You have to paint what you know. And, and it was like a light bulb. And um, I had married my husband. We were living in the Delta. Um and just all of a sudden, through my eyes being opened with Sammy, looking and understanding light key, it, it, the, the landscape around me took on a whole new meaning. And then it became really a passion because I think I call it the undeserved landscape, because not only do people who are not from Mississippi think anything about the beauty of Mississippi, most of the people in Mississippi don't think about the beauty of it. And um, and it's a uniquely beautiful state, you know, from the Delta to I mean, you can the coast, the I was painting in Tishomingo County a few weeks ago and it was like being in the mountains. I mean, it, it is just we don't realize how special our place is. And so now I feel like I've got to show everybody that. So that's kind of where I am. There are not a lot of places that encompass as many different terrains as Mississippi does. There's it, really not, you know, yeah. and there, and we we have certain things that no other place has, you know. <laughs> You've mentioned the Henshi method several times. If you don't mind for anybody that doesn't isn't familiar, would you mind describing that? So Henry Henshi was who Sammy studied under um, from Provincetown. Rhode Island, and he studied under Charles Hawthorne, and it's basically looking at their their whole um, premise was being able to establish light key so that when you looked at a piece, you could tell, you know, this is early morning, bright sunlight, late summer, or this is midday, gray day, late winter. And it, it, you know, it started with the Impressionist and then it, they just built on it from that. And it's 
it's it, it, it's breaking everything down into the simplest form, really, because you start with just geometric shapes of color and then you slowly develop from there. And it, it, is, it is a hard method to understand. I think, you know, I've, I've talked to people and they're like, oh, yeah, I did a workshop in that one time and I paint like that now. And I'm like, you got that in one workshop. You're a genius because <laughs> it, it is. I, I think it's a lifetime discovery of the method, but it it's all plain air, which is funny because, you know, plain air is the big movement in a lot of realism painting right now. We never called it plain air. Um, we just called it painting with Sammy outside. But everything is on location. If, if you can't go outside and basically that meant there was a hurricane and whatever structure you could get under was going to blow away or it was below minus 10. Um, then you, you worked from a model or still life indoors. You never worked from photographs. Um and, and like I said, if possible, you were always completely outdoors. And, and that is a big passion of mine because even though I do work from photographs now, a photograph will only show you so much and it will lie to you every single time. Your eyes can encompass so much more. And, um, and so that was, you know, baking, making everything into breaking them into these geometric planes and developing little by little not I do work with value, but really Sammy talks value in terms of a color change, not necessarily a tonal change. Um, and, and so it's, it's, it, it, it will open up your sense of sight like none other. It's, it, it's really amazing. One of the things that I've, I've really made me smile when you were talking about it is that when you started your story, you started by talking about a couple of people in your life that really helped you find a direction. And you went through and you you educated yourself and you went through all the training and then you got to a point and you said, I never thought I was going to teach, but I started to teach and you became that person that starts to guide people in a certain direction. And that's just a beautiful circle. I, I just wanted to point that out really quick. Like I, I appreciate you for doing what you're doing because there's not enough people doing what we can. Uh, well, I mean, there's a ton of people doing what we can, but there's just not enough. You know, there's never going to be enough to, to reach all the kids and every location. And you know, you've got Mississippi as a state where, you know, we have some arts in our school, but there's just, again, not enough. And those teachers are packed with 40 to 50 kids in a class. And it's just it gets crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It is crazy. So. <laughs> um. Really? You know, and it, it is such, you know, people talk about art as a gift and it is, but teaching is a big, and I don't really care what you teach. Teaching is a gift um, to be able to pass on something and, or to, like you said, to help guide someone on their path. I mean, that's just a wonderful thing. Now I want to jump back to your artwork. <laughs> <laughs> So your landscape paintings, you know, I, I knew that you painted plain air. And now that you you've talked about the training that you went through, and I know you say you don't rig rigorously st stick to it anymore, but it's very evident 
in your paintings, that, that there's that training there. And I particularly love the way you handle your colors in your paintings because there's no it's it's soft and it's kind. And I feel like um, whenever I'm looking at one of your your landscapes, it's calming in a way there's not really a harsh punch to it it's just like you're sitting there enjoying everything that's around and nothing is assaulting you it's just wonderful to take in so when you are out and about and finding your your locations what really draws you um and that's an interesting thing too because a lot of times it's it has nothing to do with the subject um and I think that maybe part of that is because I'm painting a subject I'm so familiar with. Maybe in a foreign area, it might have something more to do with the subject. But but here it's I'm fascinated by light. I'm fascinated by the patterns in nature. And basically that can be anything from shadow patterns on the ground to tree masses and the, the geometric designs they make in a composition, even if it means while I'm out on location, rearranging some of those shapes to make this abstract design work underneath. Um, and a lot of that's not evident. If you see me start and that's that's pulling some of that Hinchy breakdown in the beginning, but with Hinchy, we didn't deviate from what was in front of us. And now, you know, I may pull this mass over, reduce this mass here or whatever to 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 make that abstract composition work first. And then um, and then I love just love that dynamic light. But that being said, you know, the dynamic light can be in a gray sky on a gloomy day, kind of like we have today. It doesn't have to be just that strong contrast between light and dark, although I do love that dearly. Um, so so it, it's, you know, yes, it is the subject, um, but it's so much also about the influence of what's going on around the subject. And it's interesting to me to, to hear you talk about changing what you're looking at. And mm -hmm. adjusting it to your eye and what you enjoy and what you want to see, um, because so often you think, you know, landscapes, you're stuck into exactly what you're seeing. But, yeah, take it out, move it, adjust it, arrange it, make it what you need to accomplish, make it what you want. Right. Well, we, you know, we have that ability as artists. Um, there's there are too many wonderful photographers out there that can capture it. And, and make it, you know, a great photograph. I'm wanting to make a great painting. Yeah, you can't lose that thought on it. Right. So tell me about your day to day. What's your studio life like? So, um, as you know, all too well, things are a little different than they were a year and a half ago. Um, but it's interesting, the paths that the pandemic has taken us down. Um, before COVID, I was teaching five days a week in four different locations. And I loved all those areas dearly, but I was exhausted. Um, spending a lot of time, you know, running back and forth. And, and it was like you had to have multiple studios in multiple places. And I was also the director of the Charleston Arts and Revitalization Effort, which is the art organization in Charleston, Mississippi. And when the pandemic kind of 
closed all of that down. The first thought was panic. <laughs> and then and then it was kind of like, OK, now, wait a minute. I've got to go stay home. And really, all I can do is paint. OK, I think I can do that. Um, but, you know, so we had that little bit of time frame because at that time we thought, you know, a couple of months, we'll be we'll be back. And then that didn't happen. So um, so in the middle of a pandemic, I decided to build a large studio made no sense whatsoever. Um, but it was something I had been wanting to do. Um, my mom had left a little bit of money set aside for me to do that one day. And, and so we just decided now or never, and that's where the big echo was when we first started our interview. Um, so I have taught for years in a little room at my house that's about 22 by 15 feet. Now I have 24 by 40 feet. And um, so I needed a bigger area where we could space out. And I slowly brought some students back. And so I am back now as we have slowly transitioned somewhat out of it. I'm only teaching two days a week now. I teach on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, but all day, both days. I've also incorporated Zoom classes. Thank you, pandemic. <laughs> um, and so I teach three to four Zoom classes a week. And then having most of that concentrated on Tuesday and Wednesday, I am able to paint, to travel to my galleries, to um, go to different events now that we're actually starting to have events again all those days in between, which is wonderful. Um, I do do about four to five three-day workshops a year. And so I concentrate. So, I mean, my week consists and my day consists of art. You know, I try to paint something every single day. Now, it may be a color chart if the day is just crazy. Um, it may be demonstrations for students, but I try to have something in my hand to keep that thought process going every day. And so it, the, each day pretty much, you know, is, is a combination of some form of art, whether it is the marketing aspect, the teaching aspect, or the actual creation of it. And I'm, I'm just beyond blessed. Yeah. And if you want to be successful on your own terms, there's a good chunk of that that has to go to your own marketing and your own, you know, there's your time has to be spent on that as well as painting. I had a hard time when the pandemic, you know, not necessarily when it started to happen, everything shut down and I was okay with that. I was same thing with like you, I was like, this is going to eventually come back. It's all going to pass. I just have to find, you know, stuff to do in the meantime, a podcast. Um, and then what happened is that it felt like nothing, nothing gradually started again. It was all stop and then go and then stop and then go. And, you know, it was just everybody wanted everything again and then and then nothing again. And before the pandemic, I had slowly built myself up. I had, you know, I was like you, I was teaching five to seven days a week. I had all my afternoon classes. Then I had eventually folded in some morning classes on three of the days and put in a, you know, a, a Saturday workshop and a Sunday drawing class. And, you know, and all of that was going fine because I had built it up and I was used to it. But once it stopped, 
you know, that was too much to just start back again. It was like you're you're traveling to four different places. You weren't in the routine anymore. And it's almost like it, it, for me, it was I've, I felt like I was letting myself down. And then I had to to get back to reality and be like, no, no, you're not letting anybody down. You know, this is just how you have to rebuild and you have to find new things. So it's interesting to see how you adjusted as well and how your what you were going through was very similar to what I was going through. I'm just trying to figure it all out. So let's talk about your art business a little bit. You do. Um, I know that you are are a part of several art organizations and a lot of different um, communities that that go out and paint together and do things together. How does that play in with your work and your sales and, and everything like that? Is that a balanced situation or do you feel like you're taking away time to do it? You know, um, I think it's balanced now. Um, before a lot of this had started, you know, before COVID and and I was I was strong in way too many different directions. Um, I have since let the position I'm still on the board at care in Charleston, but I have given the directorship up. I knew that I, it was wonderful. And it is a wonderful thing for the community, but it was time for me to step back, take care of me for a little while. And um, so backing away from that, pulling all the classes back here has allowed me to stay active in organizations. So in other words, instead of, you know, even though before everything was all art related, now everything's painting related. So I've kind of divvied out some of the things that might have been pulling me one way or the other. Um, and, and that's made it doable. Um, I'm very involved with uh, the Mississippi Plain Air Painters, and really, we have one large event a year. So it's not like we paint together all the time, but it's not like that's an obligation. That's just, you know, it's what we do. <laughs> um, and then I'm president of the Memphis Germantown Art League, which I'm not really sure how that came about. Um, I joined to get to know more people north of me. And boy, that's a way to do it when they elect you president. Uh, but it's a wonderful, insanely talented group of artists. And um, and we are a lot. A lot of us are, are long distance. So not everyone is in the Memphis Germantown area. And again, you know, Zoom has allowed us to do things that before we had to get in the car to go do. We had to take a whole day to go do, you know, board meetings. We had to go to Memphis to do it. Now we can do them in our living rooms. So that's, that's made things a lot more possible. Um, so, you know, I think as far as the art business, you've got to network, you know, first of all, artists, we need each other. Yeah. <laughs> um, emotionally, you know, feedback. Why we we just do because we are so like minded. No matter what aspect of art you do, um, and then the networking from working with galleries, working with arts councils, working with. I'm close to Oxford, which Oxford has. Um, Yacht Navatafa Arts Council, which is just such a wonderful, wonderful hub for artists. And and so having that support 
You know, I think it's it's easy for us to become introverted as artists. We all are, whether we admit it or not. I always say I'm an extroverted introvert, but it takes that stepping out to get to know people, to get people interested in you so that then they become interested in your art. And so I, I think it's a hand in hand type of thing. Yeah, definitely is. I'll ask you, I, I just want to talk to a couple of more things and then I'll let you go because I, I really appreciate you giving up this much time already. When did you start to make the transition? Um, I know that we talked about you you know, going to college and then when you came out of college, did you go into any other fields and then work your way into um, trying to paint and teach full time or did you go in and start a studio? Like What was that? So, um, and I was having this I had a student ask me this question the other day. Um, I did have a couple of other part-time jobs. I have always been fortunate, though, that those jobs were art-related. When Al and I first got married, there was a small um, arts and crafts store in Cleveland. I worked there during the day, and I taught classes there at night. Um, And then when we moved up this way, I worked for Ronnie Chambers Photography for a while, and that was like a half day job. I was still teaching about three afternoons a week and, and which also still gave me plenty of time to do my own art. So when when I told my parents that I was going into art, you know, I think it was equal parts relief and disappointment um, relief because I had been to up to that point telling them that I was going to be a horse trainer the rest of my life. Um disappointment they're thinking well you probably still aren't gonna make a living at this but i promised them i said you know what i said if if you pay for this degree i will make it work and and i've tried to honor that and it's hard it is hard work i have students that have gone on and done some wonderful things and when they come to me it I'm equal parts excited and scared to death, you know, because I know the path and you know, as well, you're as an artist, if it has to come out. And I think that if you're able to, it's a marathon, not a sprint. That's my favorite saying. I tell them all the time, don't think you're going to leave school, you're going to leave apprenticeship, whatever. And, and all of a sudden you're going to have this great income. It's not going to happen. Um, It is a lifetime of building, but there are so many fields out there that, you know, work for frame shops, work for um, art stores, work for, graphic design companies, if if you have that talent, t-shirt companies, you know, it may not be your dream, but, you know, I always imagined the least thing I would want to do to make a living. And if I was having to draw some, something that I had no desire to do, but I was getting paid to draw or paint that object, well, I can get paid to do this, which has to do something with what I love. And maybe I can actually learn something from it or I can, you know, be over here pulling weeds out of a garden, whatever. So, you know, you have to you I live frugally, you know, um, luckily in Mississippi, it's very easy to do that. Uh, I think that's one very fortunate thing of the arts in Mississippi is the cost of living 
is so low here. Uh, and I mean, we have never, you know, we we've had a very comfortable life. Do we travel all over the world? No. Do I drink Starbucks every day? No, <laughs> but I wouldn't change a thing. And um, and my husband is a farrier. He's a horseshoer. So it's not like he's got, you know, a six figure job. He's got a, a very steady, great income, but it's it's hard work as well. And I always say if a fairy and an artist artist can make this work, anybody can do it. Um, but it's it, it is something that that I think it, it gets glamorized, you know, the whole artist life. And, and, you know, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here. You know, it's hard. It is really hard. There's that romantic dream, you know, that mm-hmm. everybody has when they're, but you don't ever get exposed to all the different avenues that art is, you know, it's, it's one of, I have my, my younger classes and we start really early. I start early with them pointing out everything that an artist has a hand in and you can't open up your eyes in the morning without seeing something that an artist has had a hand in. Absolutely. There are a million different ways to be an artist and you don't have to be a full time artist to be a professional artist. And you whatever you can do to give you stability and comfort to allow you to fulfill your other passions. Wonderful. I for me personally, it, it became too much for me to not be doing everything that I'm doing now, I had to find a way to put it all together. And I don't particularly enjoy selling my paintings. They take forever to paint. I paint for months on one painting. And then, you know, and so that has to be an expensive painting. So that's another whole hard issue. So what I do is I teach, you know, I I opened my little studio up and, and started teaching to pay for life and to pay for me to have the ability to paint these paintings that I don't sell. <laughs> so it really is about, you know, figuring out how you get to make life work. You know, and it's it is, it's a difficult right. Role. And that, you know, the teaching, that's how the teaching came about for me as well. I had no idea that it would become as fulfilling as it has over the years. Mm-hmm. Um and, and it it like I said, it I I can't ever imagine not teaching. It's it's insanely inspiring. Um, I didn't, uh, same thing, never thought I would teach, never thought I would you know, want to hang out with kids. And right. they're awesome. <laughs> they're so awesome. And their brains are so fresh and they just wanted yes. to do an experiment with everything. And it is, it's inspiring to, to be a part of. Um, well, Carol, I want to, first of all, thank you so much for being on here. And I want to let everybody know where they can find you. Um, on Instagram, you're Carol Rourke Studios, that's C-A-R-O-L-R-O-A-R-K Studios, S-T-U-D-I-O-S. And then they can find you on your um, your website, carolrourke.com. Is there anything that you've got coming up that you would like to talk about before we... Um, so I'm trying to get ready. I'm I'm going to have a show at the Gumtree Museum in Tupelo in May. So I'm working on a body of work for that. Um, the the hard and great thing is that luckily during the pandemic, my sales did not slow down. I have no understanding of that. Um, but 
sales were actually even a little bit better. And I think it's because everybody was stuck at home with nothing else to do. Um, but so I've got that coming in May. Um, I will be headed back to, I go to a wonderful conference with friends, which I've actually been part of the faculty of in the past, which is Plain Air South in Florida. That will be in March. Um, and then about to take a little Christmas break and back to teaching in January. <laughs> That's exciting. I'm glad you're going to get to travel a little bit and go hang out with with your different groups. And that's how fun to be a part of a group in a whole other state and get to go down and travel and and just be around a multitude of artists from everywhere. Phenomenal. Well, the last question I'd like to end off with is for anybody who's coming up behind you or for yourself as a younger artist, what would be some advice that you'd like to give? You know, I wish I was more mature sooner. (laughs) Um, When I was in school, I wish I had worked a little harder. I mean, I I had great grades, but, you know, I had Brent Funderburk right there who was wonderful. And I did take classes with Brent, but I was into oil painting. I didn't have time to think about watercolor, not the fact that he was teaching me color theory with limited palettes that I would one day use in oil painting. Um, I would love to go back and study harder with him. Uh, You know, I did a 200 painting and 200 day project back in 2017, and that was a game changer. I wish I'd done it 25 years earlier. Uh, So, you know, I just wish I could have been more focused. But I think as we age, that's one thing we all want. We want to be young, but have the wisdom we have now that we're older. (laughs) Oh, that hindsight will get you every time. I'm the same way. I, yes. It took me a long time to learn how I learn. You know, so the first time yeah. I was going through college, it was almost wasted. You know, I was able for some reason I got great grades, but I didn't learn anything. I didn't retain it. I just taught myself for the hours. And then it took me until my 30s. And then I started to figure out how I actually learn and retain. And now you can't stop me from learning. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. Well, Carol, thank you so much for for giving us your time and your story and letting us be a part of your art life for a minute. Um, I really appreciate you coming on and just just sharing with us everything. Well, Derek, thank you for inviting me and thank you for doing these fabulous podcasts. They, I play them in my studio all the time. I just love them. And once again, I want to thank Carol Rourke for everything she shared with us. It's always just so inspiring to hear what other artists have been through and to be able to relate to it and to understand that the journey is up and down, but it's a beautiful one. And we get to translate that. Before I let you go, I wanted to let you know that we're going to be taking a little break for a couple of weeks. And this is going to be so we can get some things in order for the launch of the art magazine and get some more interviews recorded. This is just this has been such an exciting journey and we're so excited to have you along with us. In the meantime, you can go to the website and check out our archive. We've got a back catalog of interviews with artists like Sabrina Howard, Joseph H. McGowan, Blair Hobbs. We've got Sam Clark, Nicolette Brokaw. There's just so many interesting lives to listen to and and stories to enjoy and experiences to learn from. So I hope you enjoy and we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Until then, 
This has been Derek with the Mississippi Artist to Artist podcast. 